to Leitner. Puts it up. You're listening to the Culture State Podcast. Get ready. We're back for another episode of the Culture State Podcast. I love the fact that we have video now. We have nice graphics now. All Mm -hmm. that good stuff. I mean, week by week, we're just continuously getting better. I'm Chris Lee. I'm Dennis Cox. Dennis. Mm Mm-hmm. Doesn't this look beautiful? Look at this beautiful setup. I know. I mean, for the folks that are listening, we actually, you can watch this on YouTube. So look up 99.9 The Fan. You can find us there. Yeah, you can see our beautiful, smooth faces. (laughs) Show smooth faces. Exactly. (laughs) The face of show smooth and the fan rookie. Yes. Oh, just the fan rookie. That's fine. Show smooth smooth and the fat stooge. Yeah, this scruffy beard. Yeah, absolutely. I'm talking, well, north of the beard, though, you know. Well, of course, north of the beard. North of the beard. Of course, the beard is perfect timing because the Canes are in the playoffs right now, depending on when people are listening to this. But when this drops, the Canes are going to be right in the heat of the playoffs. That's why this week on Culture State, we're going to be joined by the play-by-play man. Actually, we're going to be joined by the color analyst who's been here since the Canes arrived in North Carolina, the trip Tracy, Chris. Yeah, I, I definitely wanted some type of uh, Canes representation on the show. Um, you did too. Mm-hmm. And we're g- glad we were able to get trip Tracy. Um, you know, he's somebody where like you talk about started from the bottom and yeah. making it to the top and being flexible. You know, he, his dream was to play hockey. His dream was to, you know, be in the NHL and it didn't quite work out for him that way, but he was able to carve out a nice career uh, working with the Carolina Hurricanes uh, on their announce uh, team as the color analyst for years, <laughs> you know, and yeah. so you get a chance to hear his journey uh, going from Greensboro to Raleigh and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, it was it was great to have him on. I love his energy and I love his voice. He has one of the best voices. Yeah. In, in broadcasting. I, yeah, he's got a fantastic voice. And you mentioned his energy. I think one of the things that I love about Trip, and I think a lot of Canes fans appreciate this about him, is that he's unapologetically himself. Mm-hmm. And that is something that is key to being a broadcaster. Is you still want to be who you are as a person. But also at the same time, not go too over the top where it kind of annoys people. But he is that perfect of I am who I am, but I'm also going to make sure that I'm informative and I'm smart with what I do. But I'm also not going to throw a bunch of hockey jargon at you as well. It's that perfect balance and it's a really hard thing to do. And the Canes fans love him. I enjoy him. And even the athletic, back when John Forsling was the play by play man. The fans, like all of hockey fans in the athletic, voted who the best local play by play color analyst duo was. They voted John Forslund and Trip Tracy. Wow. I mean, you know, he, he's an amazing guy. He's the reason why so many people are, are great Kaniacs. <laughs> yeah. And, and well, it, for example, like you, you and I grew up watching wrestling, right? Yeah. You hear the voice of Jim Ross, you hear the voice of Tony Schiavone. That's what we grew up listening to. So, a lot of people who are yeah. young adults now here in, in North Carolina. They grew up listening to Trip Tracy being the color analyst for the Canes. Now they're older adults. They still hear that voice. He's he's the lyrics to the music. Mm, That's kind of poetic from you right there. Well, I try, man. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I mean, he really is lyrics to the music. It's um, you, you know, it's a Canes game when you hear his voice. And there's also to me, you know, I'm sure other people feel the same way, uh, a comfort and an excitement mm-hmm. when you hear his voice because you know that. Uh, if you're not watching, if you happen to be listening on the radio or if you're you are watching 
and you know maybe uh your attention is turned toward, towards something else or whatever that trip tracy will take care of you he he's going to mm -hmm. let you know what's happening and then also you know break down um plays that maybe you don't quite understand i've learned yep. so much about hockey through him and you know he may not even know that like a lot of what i know about hockey is through him because for me there wasn't a lot of exposure to hockey when i was young so as i started uh watching carolina hurricanes he was the voice that helped me through and and, and taught me a lot of different things so definitely appreciate him for that and one thing I will respect about Trip as well when he does his breakdowns, he's honest and fair. So he's also going to, yep. if it's time to be critical of the team, he will be critical. But he's not going to rip guys or bash guys. But he's honest and he's fair. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of fans appreciate that. But I think also the players on the team respect that too. For sure. Uh, well, you know, he has a lot to say. If you know Trip Tracy, he can go <laughs> a long time. Oh, yeah, time Trip's awesome. Talking, so we don't want to make this intro too long. We're going to get you to this interview with Trip Tracy right here on the Culture State Podcast. But first, this message. All right, back on the Culture State Podcast. Uh, we haven't had any representation from the Carolina Hurricanes, so now we've got to change that. And we have uh, Trip Tracy on. He's been a longtime broadcaster for the team. Uh, here with us. Uh, personally, I think one of the best voices in broadcasting in general. I, I love listening to you uh, for sure. And I, being somebody from Greensboro, I have to ask you, even though I know Greensboro was a disaster <laughs> when the Canes moved down to North Carolina, how was your time in Greensboro? What are some of your fondest memories from uh, having to drive back and forth to Greensboro uh, during that one year? Well, hang on. I mean, Chris, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, I have phenomenal memories from Greensboro uh, because that's where I got called up to my, you know, only NHL stint, backed up a game against uh, the Dallas Stars, you know, being in skating out in warmups with everything that you dream of and sacrifice in terms of your parents to get to the NHL. It was in the Greensboro Coliseum that you know, it's, I tried not to, but I had tears in my eyes in warm up, thinking, seeing my mom and dad in the first couple of rows, they flew in, got word the day of the game. And we were playing in uh, New Haven, Connecticut, uh, the Hurricanes American League affiliate at the time. And I got a call from the assistant GM saying, uh, Trip, you're getting called up to the Hurricanes tonight. You got to go pick up Bates Battaglia. And I, Bates was my teammate, but I, I didn't know him that well. At that point, we became and our great friends, you know, from our call up together. Um, so that was my first experience. Well, I had had a training camp in Greensboro, but I mean, that's a memory that is. It, my dad has since passed on that I'll never forget looking at my parents during warm ups and stretching next to Eddie Balfour. Very, very cool. Um, and then my first year broadcasting. I mean, it's I, I look back upon it and, you know, it's. <laughs> It wasn't any inconvenience for me, Chris, because, you know, your Pete Carmanis, the owner, gave me the job with essentially no experience. I was more than happy to drive 90 minutes each way, hang out uh, with John Forsen and Chuck Caden. Uh, we used to go to Jack Astor's for lunch. Um, just, you know, shoot the breeze, shoot other things. I mean, it's cliche, uh, you know, leading up to game time. And then what was really an excellent uh, playoff series against the Boston Bruins that featured games in Greensboro. So I have tremendous memories, actually, of uh, 
the Greensboro Coliseum, the snippet as a player, and then my first year broadcasting. Nice. So compared to the Greensboro Days trip to what you see now, how different is it in terms of hockey fandom and just understanding of the game here in North Carolina? Good to see you, Dennis. Um, it's, it's impressively different um, because the way that I try to analyze the game, um, I have a different approach now than I did then. Of course, I'm much more experienced, but uh, I don't have to try to educate on certain facets of the game. Uh, and, and then, too, when they are home games – and you're at full capacity or even now with the, uh, the limited capacity and what has been a sensational hurricane season, you can, you can feel the education of the fan base. You know, if you have a big kill, a penalty kill, um, the little nuances of the game that would have gone unnoticed for years that the fans appreciate, I think they make their impact on the game. You know, just as we tape this on Saturday night, uh, you know, the Hurricanes searching for, you know, a, a tremendous end of the season, a division title, perhaps the president's trophy. Uh, big five on three kill for just about a minute and 42 late in the third period. And the Hurricanes, uh, when they killed it off, you know, the fans uh, really reacted with vigor, which I think reflected the education of just how important that was to the eventual win. It has grown by a, a thousand country miles and it impacts the way that I analyze the game. And it's a uh, supreme credit uh, to the Hurricanes fan base, whether it be, as Chris was talking about, you know, fans, you know, from Greensboro throughout the state or certainly here in the triangle, uh, they have become in every sense, hockey educated in my estimation. That's awesome uh, to hear. And uh, for the first time in your broadcasting career, you get a chance to call a team that's been to the playoffs three years in a row. It's coming up uh, soon as we're taping it. And as this is coming out, the playoffs will probably uh, will be going on. How impressed are you with what Rod Brendamore has done with this uh, team to kind of turn it around? But then also, it's not just the coach. It's also the players that's there. I feel like this is probably the best collection of talent that the Hurricanes have ever had since they've been in North Carolina and, you know, how impressed ha ha are you with everything, how everything's kind of meshed together uh, to bring about the magic that's come about, not only just this season, but the last three seasons? Well, it's impressed, but also grateful with perspective because uh, I was part of the years really from, you know, I started in 98, but from, let's just call it 2000 to 2009, that were your feast or famine years because when you did get in the playoffs in years like 2002, 2006, 2009, you made runs. You went to the conference finals each of those years. You went to the Stanley Cup finals two of those three years and you won the Stanley Cup in 2006. But then you go 10 years without it. Okay. And <laughs> so now three years back in, that's where the, the gratitude with perspective comes into play for me. Uh, there are many factors to it. I will tell you that I can distinctly remember. I'm not sure if he was actually 
an assistant coach yet. He was an eye in the sky initially, uh, Rod Brindamore and Kirk Muller's coaching staff. And I was already shouting it from the mountaintops, truthfully. This guy's going to be a great NHL head coach. I just, I knew it because of his personality, his love for the Hurricanes. And I, can, I, I speak about this from time to time, Chris, that he hated video as a player. He loathed it. I mean, coaches used to tell me, Peter Laviolette, Kevin McCarthy, getting him to come in and look at video. I mean, Rod had that look on his face. I hate being here, but he, when he knew he was going to become a coach, he knew he had to, uh, you know, at least go toe-to-toe from a video perspective with the video gurus out there, Mike Babcox, Bill Peters, who coached here, guys like that. He had to, he had to match that, and then every other thing that he has that they don't have would be that much more invaluable. So, and at the end of the day, he loves the Hurricanes through and through, and he's real as a person. Okay, so are there are they at where they're at without him? No chance. Would it be drastically different if he weren't here? Even with this great uh, assortment of talent, yes, it would, uh, and that's why he's got to stay. Um, hmm. then you look at the other things, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's drafted and developed players. Ronnie Francis deserves a ton of credit because even though there were a couple of first round picks that missed, you know, over the course of all of his drafting selections, uh, you know, these are guys that are playing, you know, you, you missed in the first round in 2015, you hit a home run in the second round with Sebastian Ajo. And even the, you know, the first rounder in Hannafin, I, there were other selections that I think they could have made, but they still that, you know, you have Dougie Hamilton in a way as part of that because Hannafin was in the deal to Calgary. Um, Ronnie was reluctant to make trades. Um, and Donnie Waddell has been very aggressive in making trades. The one trade Ron did make in acquiring table Teravinen. So, and especially the Brett Pesci, and Jacob Slavin contracts in uh, Ron's tenure uh, are consequential in where the Hurricanes are at right now. Jimmy Rutherford, even a couple of the players, you know, a guy like Alex Nedeljkovic, Jimmy Rutherford drafted, who's had a breakout season this year. So then Tom Dundon buys the team and he gives Rod that opportunity. Don gives him that opportunity. Uh, they did a lot of things off the ice that I think were brilliant to be relevant in the NHL, but you needed the team to have success. Uh, and then, you know, Don was very aggressive in some of the moves that he's made, whether it be Nito Niederreiter and getting back in the playoffs the first year, the deadline deals uh, in Trocek and Brady Shea before the COVID pause last year. Um, and you talk about both of those deals uh, with regards to last season, but then in particular, I mean, Vincent Trocek could be – he, he, he could make an argument for the team's MVP this year. One of the great trades in, in recent NHL memory. Brady Shea's very underrated in what he brings as a Carolina hurricane. So the willingness to make deals, I think is, uh, is critical uh, on that front. Um, and the hurricanes have um, the deepest organization. When I look at every position, uh, even in comparison, when I look at the roster to the Stanley cup team, I say that because, the forwards, the four lines are 
comparable, Chris, the goaltending, you know, you had Martin Gerber and then Cam Ward. So you actually have sort of a similar situation, say in Peter Morozik, who has more experience than Alex Nedeljkovic, James Reimer's been an excellent hurricane. So you're deeper there. And then you're definitely better on the blue line. And that's no, that's no disregard to the Stanley cup champions who were sensational and the, the Glenn Wesley's and the Brett Hedekins and the Mike Commodores and the Nikki Valines. But I think this is an even better team. Uh, we'll see if they'll end up being a team because if they're going to have to match that Stanley cup achievement uh, before we really compare the two teams and what a, what a wonderful comparison that would be. Uh, but to, to get through that feast or famine, to have those 10 years without the playoffs, I know it's a long-winded answer, but there's a lot that goes into it in my tremendous gratitude and enjoyment of being able to now uh, be the analyst for these uh, three most recent playoff uh, contenders in Carolina. It's, it's okay if you're long-winded. You know, this is a podcast format, so you can do that. And plus, you know, Minnescalco yeah. has to do his thing so you don't get a chance to talk as much and be <laughs> long-winded on television. So, Tripp, you had mentioned about how Rob Brindamore wants to be the head coach, not just a head coach in the NHL, but the head coach of this team. And you always hear a lot of past players, players that you have mentioned, always say they love their time in Carolina. What makes this organization so special and the people in the organization so special? Rod, I'll look at um, people like, uh, I'll get to the players in a second, you know, because they're the, you know, they're the stars. They're the reason people, when they can pay the ticket price to, uh, to come see the games and fall in love with the hockey club. Um, but Rod, his coaching staff, I didn't know Dean Chanel, um, you know, and he's done a terrific job running the defense, running the kill in these three years, Jeff Daniels way back when Dennis in 1996, 97 and 97, no, sorry. Yeah, 96, 97, 97, 98. He was my captain in the American Hockey League. So now that Jeff Daniels, who was on the 2002 Stanley Cup finalist on the fourth line, Jeff Daniels, part of the coaching staff for Peter Laviolette, 2006 Stanley Cup champions, and now part of Rod's staff. You're talking about a special, special person with zero ego. Um, Mike Sunheim. I, I want to mention Mike because he's been around really since just after the year 2000, I'd have to look exactly when he took over for Chris Brown and Jerry Peters, but it was right around there, 2000, 2001. He loves the hurricanes, loves them. And I think he's very important. Um, you know, he's got uh, a couple of guys. He had Kyle Hanlon, Pace Sagister, and now Michael Brown. These are important people, really important people in my view. Then you look at Bobby Gorman, Skip Cunningham, George Alves, uh, Bill Berniston, uh, Chris Huffine, video coach, all the way back to the, the Greensboro days. Very, very special people. And now I think what makes it unique here in Carolina is that as the years have gone on, I'm more and more comfortable in my own skin just to tell you what I see and how I feel. And this has been such a incredible regular season that there have been very few times that I've had to be critical of a player or the team with their performance. Very few. That's how good they've been. But these players and these coaches, if that time ever comes up, 
They permit me to do my job. But then, and this is completely the way I didn't really want it to go, Dennis, as I've gone into my 40s, John Forrest and I used to talk about, you know, a natural separation between the players and the broadcasters. I don't necessarily agree with that because actually I don't agree with it because these players who have kept me young, I have personal relationships that I never thought I had nor wanted (laughs) with a lot of them, a lot of them. And I can have my professional responsibility of calling their games, the occasional situation where I got to be hard on them or, you know, the occasional situation Rod and I, seem to never have disagreements. And then we have the personal relationship. So special. That really is special that you have that connection, no barriers, much the same way that I think the Hurricanes fan base, the great Kaniac Nation, where the boards start and the glass goes up. There's no barrier, I think, between their Canes stars and the Kaniac Nation. And I do think that that is unique. I think it's rare. I think that that is one of the reasons that the surge, you are in the entertainment business, uh, was and is marvelous. And these are all things that combine together to make the Carolina Hurricanes an extraordinarily special place. And it starts and ends. Rod would be the first to say it because he's, he is certainly on the Mount Rushmore probably maybe with the biggest dome of the, the people that make this organization tick. I first met Rod right around. I was just talking with he and his wife, Amy, last night, 20 plus years ago. I've known him. We've shared countless private moments. He has helped me through some tough times. I'd like to think that I've been there for him and we've, you know, we have the bond that we do because of some of his tough times. He is the guy that epitomizes caring about people here in Carolina, but I, I'm very happy I'm able to mention the, the Mike Sondheims of the world, the Chris Huffines of the world, the Bill Bernistons of the world, the equipment staff, and I'll end at that. I also want to ask you about this. Uh, you, you mentioned your, your broadcast career a little bit, starting right after you were a player, had no experience, come right in. I personally, uh, being from North Carolina, have learned a lot from you just listening uh, the entire time and uh, understanding the game of hockey through your eyes. When did you feel like, you know, doing something new, becoming a broadcaster, hadn't done this before, that you started to turn the corner, become a great broadcaster, that you were not only um, educating, but also helping to tell the full story for those who were either watching or listening to you at the same time? Well, Chris, I mean, again, (laughs) I'm really going long today, but, you know, I I, I go all the way back to, you know, I – I hope Hurricanes fans will get something out of this. My, my relationship with uh, longtime owner, Pete Carmanis, uh, it started youth hockey. My dad sponsored youth hockey in Detroit, produced a lot of NHL players, and, and, and Pete uh, Compuwer that produced infinitely more NHL players. So they knew each other. Uh, one of Pete's sons, Jason, longtime assistant general manager here, was a year younger than me. Uh, So we didn't really play together until juniors. Uh, But then we played junior hockey together uh, for CompuWare. Then we lived together and were teammates at Harvard. Um, And so I got to know Pete very well. Pete 
always, he always went to bat for me. He went to bat for me when I came back from playing prep school to playing junior hockey in Detroit. He went to bat for me when I got drafted by the Flyers. They didn't sign me. He and Jim Rutherford gave me a tryout with Hartford and then signed me. Um, and then he went to bat for me to the ends of the earth when Bill Gardner, what a good man Bill Gardner is, left really at the last minute uh, before the second year in Greensboro. He was John Forson's partner to go um, uh, assume the position in Chicago. Um, and Pete, Pete's the reason that I got the job with essentially no experience. Plain and simple. One of the coolest moments for me was either last year or the year before I was out to dinner with Hurricanes coach, former Hurricanes coach, Paul Maurice. And we texted Pete and he told us how proud he is because he's another uh, Paul is a guy that Pete Carmanis gave him his first chance. And he told him, told us that he was very proud of both of us. And that, that Mo and I were sitting there here in Raleigh's coaching the jets doing an excellent job. So, you know, and then Johnny Forslund was very patient with me. Uh, Johnny Forslund uh, implanted in me um, the necessity uh, with regards to work ethic, uh, you know, it's, there aren't broad, broadcasters around the league. I'm not sure in other sports don't necessarily go to practices with the regularity that, that John and my dear friend Chuck Caden uh, did all the time, all the years. Uh, so I think that was an important thing for me to see as a young broadcaster. Uh, John and I often talked about, I remember him mentioning Tim McCarver, our first year working together in Greensboro and about objectivity. Um, I, over the, and at that time too, John Davidson was doing color with the New York Rangers. He was the color analyst on television and the Rangers, no salary cap. They had the highest payroll in hockey and they stunk. And John Davidson found a way to tell the truth without throwing a player or the Rangers under the bus, yet simultaneously sell the, the, the great game of hockey. And that always stuck with me. And as, I, as, I, as the years went along, hurricanes uh, stuck with me. Uh, and I grew more and more comfortable in my own skin to just say what I see uh, with regards to taking a chance. If a guy's going and you think he might do something special, uh, go with it. If a guy's having a tough night or makes a tough play, you got to mention it. Uh, one particular, I mentioned Pete Carmanis. At one point, five, six years into that 10-year playoff drought, <laughs> we were in Vancouver, had a game, and we came back and we were playing Columbus. So it was Wednesday in Vancouver, Friday here against Columbus. So we're tired. Flew back from Vancouver, got a message that Pete wanted to see John and I. And Pete really was all over me. And he, you know, he said, you know, Trip, you're not positive enough. You're not, you've got all these, you know, young players, American born defensemen. And I looked at him and I said, Pete, if we haven't been in the playoffs at this point, six, seven years, I said, if everything is a bed of roses coming out of my mouth, when I really think we've turned a corner, what I say is going to be meaningless. And he goes, oh, okay. And so now, a few minutes ago, you asked me about what does it mean for this team to make the playoffs three consecutive years? It was just at that point, I was 15, 16 years into my broadcast career here, comfort in my own skin. And, um, and I've had tremendous ownership, I will tell you. Tremendous ownership, you know, for Pete for the majority of the years, but recently Tom Dundon. They let us do our job. 
They really do. Tom Dundon has not once since he has become the owner of the team, not one time has he come to me and said, Trip, I didn't like what you said on television. That's a heck of a compliment because that does not exist in all places around the league. Um, so that is very uh, worthy of mentioning uh, that Tom lets us do our thing, whether it be, you know, John uh, and now Mike Maniscalco, who I think is just getting better and better and more comfortable uh, by the game. And I think you can probably tell that Mike and I, uh, you know, have enjoyed plenty of time together, um, perhaps on the road and other places. And, you know, we have very good chemistry on the air. Sure. So Trip, something that's become a staple of you in broadcast is there are a lot of Caniacs out there, but not just the fans themselves, but people the likes of Cher, Walt Whitman, people that you'd mentioned during broadcast, huge Caniacs. Mm-hmm. When did that start? How did that organically? I honestly don't know, Dennis. It's a great question. And <laughs> I think I probably just did it on a couple occasions. If just guessing. 10 years ago, you know, cause John would always sit to my left and I would love to see as he was calling the game, looking at those sideburns, you know, I, I mean, my gosh, what a, what an elite announcer. All yeah. right. And I would love to see when I throw something like that out there, I would like, I knew I could throw anything at John and he would, you know, he would, he would have a good quick, spontaneous one-liner and then boom right back to action which is the way it should be and that's something right now that I think Mike and I are are working towards Mike I think as he gets more and more comfortable he has a tremendous sense of humor and you know so you know just like the last game I mentioned you know because with Nadelkovich getting uh, engaged you know on Friday it was well documented if the Canes were going to win the game I'll propose I don't really have a true leading candidate right now but you know, and so, and that's where Mike, you know, as I think we, we move forward, Mike had a great initial one-liner. Then he told me Slavin and Slavin almost scored. That would have been something. Um, but, and I'll get back to your initial question here in a second, but that ability to have that brief entertainment and then back to the game. So I'm sure that I just, uh, it was probably one of those nights, maybe busy stretch of hockey. And I wanted to just get a reaction out of John and I said, well, I think the first one, and I might be wrong, was Jacques Cousteau. I honestly think it was Jacques Cousteau being the great Kaniac, going deep, you know, in nautical fashion. Uh, and then I, got, I probably got a great reaction from John, and I said, well, this is pretty good. <laughs> and so then it's just sort of gotten its sea legs, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, the neatest thing for me, Dennis, is going to be like right now I'm in the process because I've really gotten going about this Dua Lipa thing. And uh, I don't know Dua myself, but I do have a lot of friends at, uh, at Live Nation and right up to the top there that I am in the process of putting together some of the things that's ha- that have happened with this uh, sugar boo and levitating and calling her a caniac, tuned in from her flat in London. And I will get that message to her, um, you know, with my, with my, my dear friends in the music industry. I, they've already said, Trip, put something together. And, you know, they know our manager at Live Nation. So 
what's going to be the neat thing is going to be when I actually convert uh, or make some of these uh, Caniacs. You know, there are several that are, I'm convinced are Caniacs in the, the golf course and the sky that have passed on. But that's going to be the neat thing is when we, uh, uh, when we get a couple of these celebrity candidates uh, to, to join the, uh, the true Caniac Nation in earnest. And I have every expectation that, uh, that uh, I'm going to get Dua on board. Nice. Um, my final question for you is, um, I just want to know what it's like. I mean, you're from Detroit, but you know, it feels like, you know, you're just, you're, you're a North Carolinian now. Like what's it been like, you know, just kind of being down here and, and kind of, uh, putting some roots down in, in this area and just, you know, was it a shock for you when you first came down here or whatever after that, or, you know, what has it been like since you've uh, been down here? Well, I mean, I would say, as I said, right at the top of the show, Chris, I was, I was a kid in a candy store because my first, well, my first exposure to North Carolina was the first training camp in Greensboro because I was playing then. But then, of course, getting called up to my first NHL game, you know, in my, my shot of espresso. And I remember later that night because we drove back from uh, um, Greensboro to Raleigh and then we went downtown for dinner or something like that. And Bates Battaglia and I had a rental car. And so after we had dinner, we were staying out by the airport. And Stephen Rice, who was, took care of us, uh, took us out to dinner after the game. You know, he said, you guys are good to get back to the hotel, right? I mean, there's no GPS back then. And Bates and I, trying to navigate through this thing called the Beltline <laughs> to get back to the hotel. In 1996 or early 97, or what was it? It would have been 98, early 98. Sorry, it would have been early 98. And uh, so that was classic. Um, and then I, I just genuinely fell in love with uh, the people, uh, the area. I'm still a pure Michigander. I go to Michigan in the off season, but I consider both places unequivocally to be my, my home. And the neatest story for me, bar none, there have been many sleeping on the roof with the late uh, chopper Harrison during a season ticket drive. What the heck was I thinking? You know, I was just trying to, you know, get more season ticket holders on board that, that that's many moons ago. Um, but the, the most powerful story of what it means to me to be a Caniac uh, after the hurricane swept the Islanders in the first of these now three postseason uh, um, accomplishments. It was a Friday night and I knew they were going to have a little bit of a break. Uh, so I went out for a little bit and I was walking to meet the crew that I was going to meet on Glenwood Avenue in downtown Raleigh. And four or five people came up to me. They had to be in their late twenties and they were so excited and saying, well, Hey, you know, this is unbelievable. We grew up 2002, 2006 with you and John and, and, and Tripp. This is, this is an absolute unbelievable moment, you know, to, to, to meet you. And I said to myself, because my dear friend and one of my mentors, Mickey Redmond, he goes around Detroit, you know, and when I play golf with him and I mean, people stop in their tracks. My point is for these, this group of four or five people that are now young professionals 
that have gotten through school, starting their, their careers. For them to go through being kids, teenagers, college students, now young professionals, and for my ability to hopefully uh, inform them and entertain them broadcasting in you know, a place that is my home. Uh, I can't put a price tag on that. I can't quantify that or appropriately describe that moment in words. Because I know in Detroit what it was like for me to grow up watching Mickey Redmond. And now he's one of my dearest friends. And I love when I take him to play golf and see people in, in Pure Michigan just stop in their tracks. So that's an intangible that, um, that's just awesome. And it, the, gosh, the one other quick thing, Rod talks about it all the time, is just the genuine heartfelt nature of people here. I remember the snowstorm when he first got traded here. There were three or four teams trapped in Raleigh. I know that Montreal was. I think the, the Coyotes were. There might have been one other team. Rod's just gotten traded from the Philadelphia Flyers. Not a big fan base at that point in time. I can still remember looking down, seeing his first warm-up against the Montreal Canadiens. There's nobody in the building. Everybody was always in the building in Philadelphia. And I'm thinking, he's got to be thinking, what, what has he gotten himself into? And as I'm looking down, and Rod always speaks about during that time, going to the grocery store, he had, his head had to be going a million different directions. And the kind-hearted nature of the people that he met probably didn't even know who he was, that he was the great Rod Brindamore. Spectacular, spectacular place with spectacular people. It's amazing. And I, I know that if you were out with those uh, those uh, folks that you were talking about on Glenwood Avenue, that you don't get carded because you look so young still. So I have to ask you later at some point, what's your trick to youth? <laughs> but thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Well, anybody that knows me well, Chris, thank you to you and Dennis would say the trick's not good, clean living. Uh, I, you know, I... I <laughs> That's probably my problem right now. <laughs> so, it, um, but I'll never forget that moment. And as we get close to the playoffs, you know, I know we're living in an unprecedented time, but that just tugged right at my heartstrings. And uh, hopefully if those four or five people after work are fans of uh, your podcast guys and they hear this, thank you to them. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, we look forward to hearing you hopefully with a, a long playoff run and, and uh, for, for years to come, Trip Tracy right here on the Culture State Podcast. Great interview with Trip Tracy. Definitely want to oh, thank yeah. him for his time um, and, you know, being open to answering those questions mm -hmm. and, and really answering <laughs> questions like he would go. Trip Tracy will give you details. Oh yeah, for sure. Trip Tracy, yeah. he, he's he's got he's got stories. We only scratched the surface on the stories that that guy has to offer. I, I thought it was really cool again how he talked about how there were people that he saw in Glenwood South a couple of years ago after the Canes yeah. you know swept the Islanders to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, being like, "Hey, I grew up with you." And I think yeah. that's something that's really cool is when you work in play by play, whether it's as the play by play voice or the color commentator the fans are bringing you into their homes. So they are making you part of your life. And those memories that they make watching these games, you are part of that as a play-by-play -play person. I think it's really cool to, to be that. So it's 
to me as a fan, you again, you are letting these people into your lives. I know mm-hmm. my best friend, his father's from Southern California, huge Dodgers fan. Both of them are. And they loved anytime they could listen to Vince Scully call a game. That was the thing they loved because like, hey, I'm bringing Vince Scully into my home. And it almost felt like Vin was part of the family, you know, for those few hours. And it was uh, it, it's it's a special connection that fans have with the play by play voice. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, while we're you know talking about him, he looks super young. <laughs> like he looks like he could you know be our age, and this guy is in his forties. Um, you know, it just it's just amazing how young he looks all the time. Yeah. So I'm sure also while he's hanging out in Glenwood South that he can pick up numbers from a lot of people too. Uh, <laughs> If he really wanted to, because you know, Trip still looks young yeah. for sure. I, I I can only imagine potential stories. I don't even want to speculate. I'm not even gonna <laughs> not even gonna cross down that path. Maybe that could be uh part two if we talk to him again. Like, hey, you know, how do you pick up numbers? Are you like, hey, I'm Trip Tracy. <laughs> Heard of me? Get those digits. I don't know. Hey, I mean, maybe I need tips. I'm a single guy. Maybe that's what I need. Yo, but only if that I would actually be a good trip. show. Dating uh, advice from Trip Tracy. Let's t- do it to Dennis Cox. That'd Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. But yeah, Trip's Trip Trip is an awesome guy, and he's also not only is he a fun guy to be around, but he's also genuinely a good person. And I've been around up in the press area, worked with him many a times. Legit, one of the nicest guys you'll meet. For sure. And maybe one of the things he'll tell you is, Dennis, you got to start learning how to like wine and jelly. Oh, I'm sorry. Is this on? Can you hear me, Chris? Get out. Get out of here. Get out of here with that. With mm. your thinking emoji thing. Mm. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out. Oh, you're walking off? Oh, well, I guess thank you guys for for listening to the Culture State podcast. I'll try to convince Dennis Cox to come back next week. Uh, (laughs) Please give us five stars and also uh, give us a follow at Culture State Pod and also at Chris Lee TV and And at at the the Fan fan Rookie. rookie. Yeah, And when you at the Fan Rookie, tell him that he needs to like wine and jelly because he's missing out on life. (sighs) That'll do it for us. Hope you guys enjoyed. Five stars. Thick five stars. Thick. T-H-I-C-C. Culture State. We out. The Culture State Podcast, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network, with new shows coming out every Wednesday. Download and subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts, including the WREL Sports Fan app.